This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay. And, and what have, did you want to say about Mallory? Or are we saving that for the end? <clears throat> well, we can save it for the end. But yes, we have a wonderful, okay. uh, you know, at first, you know, the A has always been a two-person crew. But now we have Mallory, who is, um, what's her title? Uh, she's sort of our consultant, oh, right? Gee. See, that's what we we're supposed to be meeting today. So we got to make sure <laughs> we nail all that down. Well, right. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to call her our executive consultant. Uh, she has been fantastic in helping us out and to help VA grow. And I would love to, and we'll talk more about Mallory later. Um, but Li Ling Ao, um, that's our guest for today. Li Ling, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. <laughs> Li Ling is a fantastic actress. Uh, she and I worked on Dragon Eggs. Uh, it's a monthly uh, theater collaborative working on new works and uh, we did a wonderful play by the great Kimberly Ridgeway, Soulmates, and it was nice. It was uh, Lamont, Li Ling and myself and we've had Lamont on before and we had a wonderful time. Li Ling, uh, had, um, was this the first time you were working? I'm, I'm assuming you've worked with Dragon Eggs before. Yes, I did. Yeah. Right on. I, I, yeah, I was lucky enough to be brought on for another project uh, for a friend of mine called Ugo Kabahal, and uh, he was directing uh, a short for them, and I did that. It was called Bobby and Bo Bobby. Very mm. nice, very nice. All righty, and we'll learn more about Li Ling um, uh, later on, but uh, as I start all my podcasts, uh, how, Norman, how's your week? Next week I get vaccinated. Next week I'm done. I can't wait. <laughs> me, no, too, me too, me too. So now we are in the hybrid era, and it's funny, when this remember a year ago when people thought, wow, well, yeah, we're going to close everything down for a month or two and we'll see what's happening. Ha. <laughs> no. And people started talking about, and then we'll get to a new normal. I'm like, no, we won't. And we still aren't going to get to a new normal. But now we are in that era of what the hybrid, I yeah. think, would be the best title for what we are now. So I am still working all over Zoom. And I've done that this week. But I've also been to Pleasant Hill. I've been to College of Marin twice. Um, right before last show, I went to a, a real a professional sculptor's house. Um, I'm running all over the place. And I'm getting ready for, in a couple of weeks, I'll start doing classes. Um, so this week really was a lot of just stressing about what is happening, adding commute back into my life and preparing for what's about to happen it's it's been a stressful week yeah you know this this is the one year anniversary of i guess when we were all introduced to COVID 19 because i remember I, I write a journal entry and uh it was a week ago i'm sorry it was a year ago a year. yeah uh, i guess the second or third week of march where everything just started shutting down and our lives were just you know sort of topsy-turvy i mean Li ling uh, what, what were your memories of a, just a year ago and being introduced to COVID 19 yeah uh well it was kind of interesting my my sister's based in hong kong and so they were starting their lockdown i think from february january and so my nephews were being pulled out of school at that stage and you know it hadn't really kicked off uh a year ago i was actually traveling in new york and everything had already started happening and uh i was doing a, a work thing in new york and I just remember getting onto the subway and just thinking, 
yeah, I'm really not sure about this. You know, there, there are points where going to a Broadway show and just thinking, uh, the lady in front started coughing and just mm. thinking, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe, maybe I know it's an opportunity to see some theater and experience life. And yet at the same time thinking, maybe it's not worth it. You maybe should be, yeah, already yeah. practicing social distancing. So yeah, a year ago, I pulled my girls out of school and, um, and it was two days before the official lockdown, uh, before they officially closed the schools. But I, I know a lot of uh, tech companies that already asked their employees to work from home. So it just seemed the logical next step. Right, right. Why wait until somebody makes it official? Exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, London Bridge jumped on it pretty quickly, but uh, it sounds like other countries who had, you know, better leadership than we did a year ago, they even jumped on it even further. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'd seen um, news coverages just trickling, and I'm like, you never know. It's like, okay, so I'm hearing that something's happening in China, and I'm hearing that there are other things happening in the world, but should I be worried or not? I mean, you expect your, you know, your officials to tell you, okay, now it's time to worry. And so we got a late start on it, but I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, you know, things are sound, sounding to get better. And, and are hearing, you settled? Have you settled into your new place? I am settled into my new place. My body has completely healed. Uh, I <laughs> moved from one apartment to another, luckily in the same building. So I saved on moving costs, but uh, I would not recommend anyone <laughs> to move on their own unless, you know, you have the the strength to do it. But yeah, I'm looking good. And I, I love my kitchen. As you can see in the background there, this is not a blue screen. This is the real thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. And uh, so, you know, uh, life is pretty good. Um, there have been a couple of um, current events that are going that have gone on. Um, everyone's talking about the the Meghan Markle interview with uh, Oprah, and uh, it's it's ironic that we have Lee Ling on because you know you're from London, so yeah. you can give us some perspective on, I guess, or at least your perspective. Uh, I mean, is the royal family racist? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That's a big question to tackle. <laughs> you know, I well, well, how did it hit? How did it hit you? I mean, it may not have hit you at all about you know what's going on. I mean, not that I really care about what's happening in Buckingham Palace. They haven't Palace. personally been racist to you, right? You can say that. <laughs> not to me personally. See, <laughs> but uh, you know, look, I I think they are a very interesting institution. There are people that are very royalist, and a lot of people within the commonwealth and you know having lived in australia as well you know who aren't that fussed with the royals i mean i, I think they do what they need to do and I, I understand that there's a lot of um fear i guess w uh, with the media however at the same time yeah but i think with any very old institutions that there may be some racist elements and it's time for a shift yeah, I love how you just casually drop in Australia. I was in Australia. <laughs> no, you're a world traveler. And, you know, I have to remind myself, you know, the United States, we're probably the most diverse, culturally diverse and racially diverse mm -hmm. of pretty much any other country. So, of course, we care about things like race. We care about how we treat each other and especially if you're a minority. So I think we're far more sensitive about it than perhaps uh, in the UK. So having Meghan Markle enter the royal family and this sort of, I mean, it may have been a ticking time bomb. Maybe it was inevitable that someone was going to say something, you know, crass to Meghan. And it was inevitable that she was going to, you know, make a statement and, you know, this was going to blow over. So, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe this was um, an inevitable thing. I mean, you know, Oprah. Possibly. Yeah. She, yeah. She, I, I think also it could have been a, a huge opportunity for them to embrace diversity. Yes, right? you're, you're absolutely right. You know, all of this, none of this would have happened if the queen had said, listen, we embrace you, Megan. We embrace you and our child. And it's, yeah. you know, dark, uh, no one, dark child. We, exactly. We, 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 <laughs> not too dark, though. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, she could have, you know, if the queen and, uh, you know, the queen is what, 90 some odd years old. So maybe she's out of it. Maybe she doesn't doesn't realize what's going on. But Mm -hmm. if enough people had said, listen, we embrace you and we don't care about anything else. We embrace you as family. Then this would not have happened at all, even if they were faking it, even if they didn't believe it. Right. So I I think they've gone to pains to say that it wasn't the queen or Prince Philip. So uh, who knows who it was? But uh, yeah. T- yeah. time, Andrew time apparently admitted change. it. Andrew was like, "Yeah, oh yeah, we're racist." Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what Prince Andrew said? Ooh, fascinating. Uh, he's. I don't know what the quote was, but that's how I've seen it taken. Was Andrew admitted it? I was like, "Okay, wow. no." <laughs> Somebody go talk to him. <laughs> but hey, haven't we all had uh, crazy in-laws? Well, I've never been married, so. But I mean, in, this is a sort of an in-law thing. I'm not sure. Oh, it's not even just in-laws. I got crazy family. I mean. I got I got an aunt and her her son is my generation and he just joined Facebook and I was like uh, okay I guess I'll friend you so I mentioned it to my mom she's like oh no 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 I'm not friending him <laughs> and for those who don't know um, you are married to Mara who is a white woman Jewish she is both yes yeah yeah so <laughs> oh no oh yes yeah. see that's what I like about this this particular topic is what's happened is a bunch of biracial, a bunch of interracial families and a bunch of biracial people have come out to say, yes, this is my experience, like all validating everything that Meghan Markle had to say. So I don't care how much anybody is denying it. There's a whole bunch of folks saying, oh, no, this is real. This is Mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, you know, I have a family. I mean, I have cousins and and friends who, you know, who have a biracial uh, family. And luckily, my family, this is on my father's side of the family, you know, everyone gets along. I haven't heard anything bad things go on. But this is the new generation, you know, there's going to be far, far, far more, you know, uh, multicultural uh, families and relationships. So, you know, this is sort of the new normal. So holding on to these old ways of thinking is just going to cause you a lot of trouble. So... I mean, so they, go, yeah, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no, I, I was just saying, I, I think it's a conversation that's happened in any family. And I'm hoping with the royal family, maybe it was just a, oh, I wonder, you know, in the same way that I wonder what color the eyes will be. I wonder what color the skin will be. You'd hope that it was some question like that rather than some like, oh, my goodness, it depends how dark the skin's going to be. You know, so I I hope that it was a, a naive statement rather than something that was specifically it's usually a naive statement. Yeah. I have a nephew who is, I think, about 35 now. And when he was born, Mother White, my brother to the dad, mm-hmm. um, and they were not, it was, it was an accident, let's just put it that way. And so the family was trying to encourage her to not worry about him. They, you didn't need, you don't need him. We're going to help you. We're going to support you. Little pale baby comes out. Yay, everybody happy. Month mm. or two in, they go to the beach. Little baby gets a tan, has never lost that tan. Family lost interest immediately. All the white people just were done. 
So it's like, this is not new. Yeah. Yeah. You hate hearing stories like that. You just absolutely hate it. Um, so that's going on. And also the, I'm, I'm paying attention to the uh, Derek Chauvin case, which is happening. That's Ooh, the, uh, yeah. in, that's the cop that killed um, uh, George Floyd. George Floyd. They can't uh, even get past. They can't even get past uh, the jury selection re- yet. Have they? Yeah. Well, that well that doesn't surprise me because there's always going to be a tug of war as to who you let in. You know, the uh, the defense wants a more conservative audience in to you know who are more cop friendly, and the prosecution, ironically, this mother of all ironies, will want a more liberal audience in who will you know, be more in tune to Black Lives Matter. So, um, but I was encouraged, I'll say, I, you know, public disclosure, I worked with the district attorney's office in San Francisco. So I'm always paying attention to like evidentiary hearings and things. And they let in a lot of evidence. The judge let in the, um, I'm sorry, the defense wanted to include drug intake of George Floyd. Apparently George had some drugs in him. And yeah, the judge did, says, right. that's not relevant. That's not relevant yeah. at all, and we're not going to put it in. And nice. that, was, that was encouraging. So, and they added added the other charge. That's Third right. Degree. That's right. Third degree murder. So it's looking good. I won't. You know, I've 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 gone through this before. I'm not going to believe a, convi- a conviction is going to happen until I see it or until I hear right. it. So we'll right. see. Right. So um, Elon Musk, he got took a haircut. He lost $27 billion last week. <laughs> How did somebody lose $27 billion and not even care? Yeah, exactly. That's how rich some folks are. It must be nice. Must be nice. <laughs> Tesla stocks fell 11%, and I'm sure he'll get, get oh, it back again. I feel bad. And the one thing, <laughs> uh, apparently Matthew McConaughey is considering running for governor for Texas. Did you hear about this? No. Oh. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about what's her name? Um, um, Nixon. Cynthia Nixon is running for New York governor and everybody's going, nah. Oh, oh, because of Andrew Cuomo. Well, you know, Andrew Cuomo, right. it's funny. I was cheering Andrew Cuomo on all last year because he was the cogent voice of COVID-19. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, these women are coming forward and listen, you know, I don't care how good you are, you know, your your good deeds can't cover your bad deeds. You know, sometimes you just got to say, listen, I did it and I'm sorry. So. Right. No, he's he's falling into that category of, um, um, you know, where uh, where we got Giuliani from. He was a hero and then he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, any thoughts, Lee Ling, about uh, that or uh, about Matthew McConaughey or just uh, I don't know, just are you encouraged with uh, the new Biden administration 50 days in office? Uh, oh, totally. So, I mean, yeah, it, you know, we're, we're all getting our vaccines. Uh, people are been impressed upon the belt using masks as opposed to don't use them they don't do anything you don't need to do that so yeah absolutely any uh, change and also uh, the climate agreement things like that just the the dakota access pipeline or all, all of that yeah uh, i mean whatever's good for the environment i'm very much in favor of so it, it can only be a good thing and i guess Actors running for office. I we're in California. We had the governor, so that that doesn't surprise me at all. So, yeah, yeah, it surprised me. I think uh, Matthew McConaughey was on some sort of a uh, podcast, and he says, you know, maybe I, I'm considering it. Um, and of course, this is just challenging. Uh, you know, Greg Abbott, who is the current governor, who still, you know, he wants to open things up in Texas way, way, way too early. I mean, yes, the numbers are coming down, but 
God help us if the numbers come back up again. You know, I would love to live in a day. I was just telling you, Lee Lang off mic, that I'm starting to have dreams where I'm not wearing the mask. I mean, I know that I'm home when I don't have something over my face and I would like to not live in that world. So. That's funny. I thought you were going to say you were dreaming of Cuomo. I'm like, really? No, 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 no. <laughs> Things haven't gotten that bad. Any case, uh, with that said, let's get into an origin story. Li Ling Ao. And uh, you probably hear the uh, the British accent. You are, um, you're from London. I am. Yeah. Yay! I I came over here like seven years ago, but before that I was in Australia. So then I moved from London to Sydney, Australia, lived there for about seven years and have been in the Bay Area now for seven years. Wow. Now, are you born and raised in London? Uh, just outside of London, but um, moved to London when I was 18 to do drama school. So then I did- Nice, uh, where, where? Rose Bruford. And nobody has ever heard of Rose Bruford, but I nope. guess I'm most famous, but, and, and it's a drama school that's been going on for, Gosh, uh, 60 years, I guess now. Wow. Uh, our most famous person would be Gary Oldman. And so. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, that's very, Wait a minute. very You're impressive. saying you got to play with Gary Oldman? I wish I did. He was before my time. <laughs> so how, so how, did the, how did the theater bug bite you? I mean, were you a young child and you were involved in theater? Pretty much. You know, it, it's a strange one. I, I was always painfully shy. I, I grew up in a place outside of London which um, is called Essex. And I don't readily tell people that because there were, for a while there was a whole stigma about coming from Essex. Um, I think your your common equivalent would be like bridge and tunnel people, that, that whole thing. So is that, is that the bad side of town or is that bad? Pretty much. Well, no. you know, it's, it's the overspill from London and uh, probably less sophisticated <laughs> and all mm. of that. But um, yeah, so I grew up there and it was a small town and, because of it, uh, there weren't many people of colour. And so my family and I think there was maybe one other Asian family, a uh, couple of Indian families, a couple of black families, you know, were from that area. So they it made you very prominent and easy to bully. So I, I guess I grew up in an area where that was just the norm. And then moving to London allowed me anonymity, which I know that may say, seem strange, but uh, I remember the first time just walking around in London and initially being really scared of being in London because, you know, whenever you read the news reports, people were being mugged or stabbed or, you know, bad things, or there was the bombings that were happening in London at the time um, and just feeling scared about being in London. But then once I was there and on, on the underground and nobody looked at you, that, that, uh, influx of diversity for that area and it was really nice <laughs> but um yeah so I, I guess yeah but how how did theatre bite me I, I guess um taking part in school plays and realizing that I didn't have to be shy and I didn't have to be me uh, or bullied and I could have confidence and play in a way that I couldn't in the environment that I was living in so I kind of got into acting to combat shyness, but also to express myself. Now, that's interesting. You know, I, uh, a thought had popped in my head. I've never been to a Europe. I've never been to, um, to, to London and, mm -hmm. and Great Britain. But it sounds like, you know, as you were talking about Essex, I know in America, you know, you have the, the prominent, you know, uh, 
areas in in the big cities and then minorities i mean redlining is still a very real thing you know here in america where minority families or poorer families are pushed to you know um the outskirts you know um there was a guy named robert moses uh, who was a building manager um uh in and not building manager but he he constructed cities in and uh, in new york he created areas um where minorities would stay. So it sounds like the same thing. Maybe Essex was a place where some sort of a building manager or a building planner says, hey, this is where we're gonna put you know, th those folks. It, that's, that's just well, what it sounds like to me. It, I think basically Essex is, uh, I don't know, uh, 40 miles out of uh, London. So it's, it's the kind of great, you, you have the central London and then greater London, and then you have the overspill. And so it was uh, overspill town, mm. but um, how how things are constructed in the UK is kind of interesting because when you have council housing, which is uh, like cheap affordable housing uh, for normal people, <laughs> that uh, yeah. you you have to construct, and even with new builds now in London, uh, I think they set aside thirty percent of the the apartment block for council housing so there there has to be a certain amount that is set aside for people that are low income so uh there's uh more diversity and in a way it, it doesn't matter which area of london you're from now there there are pockets where even if you're living in very expensive housing there are people that are living alongside you who are, are on food stamps Okay. Well, that, I mean, that sounds, it's, it's encouraged. Uh, it sounds like it's encouraging because, you know, they're, they're a lot, they're creating affordable housing for folks yeah. who, who need it. So, so that's good. Um, so, I mean, uh, I guess there had to have been a point where theater wasn't just, you know, a fun thing to do as a kid, but, you know, you were like, Hey, this is what, you know, this is what I really want to do. Was it when you uh, had to, when you went to college, I know you studied at uh, the uh, LISPA. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was a strange one, actually. Being Asian, <laughs> uh, I obviously wasn't being encouraged to go to theatre in the Wait arts. Wait a minute, you're Asian? What? I know, it's weird, isn't it? It is. This accent, this face, it's really, you know. <laughs> I did a show recently. Um, I was fortunate enough to work um, at the ACT for something, um, but it was the uh, fellowship project, and I was Marie Antoinette and I had this huge wig on and one of oh. my <laughs> one of my uh, castmates family came along to see the show and it wasn't until the intermission that they they, they sent her a text like wait what Marie Antoinette's Asian <laughs> so, so just say yeah. I think it's brilliant <laughs> casting. I think it's brilliant <laughs> casting. Uh, I was, yeah, it was a great fun show to do. Um, but yes, uh, what was the question? Where, we were talking, you were change? talking about going about, into Lisba, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't being encouraged to be an actor, and my parents were really against it. But it's strange, I think, since I was yeah 12 maybe i knew i wanted to act and uh it was one of those conversations it was more like no doctor not actor <laughs> but eventually after i started studying um what we call our a levels so I, I guess it's at the end of high school you pick three subjects and you specialize in those um i realized i just didn't want to pursue medicine 
and I had to be true to my heart. And so I switched physics and chemistry for uh, English literature and theatre studies. And so there was that initial point. And then I applied to drama school and I got into Rose Bruford. And after completing Rose Bruford, I think it was probably about five years. And then I decided that um, it would be really important to know how to create your own work. And that's when I studied at Lisper. And that was a physical theater school. Yeah, you and I were talking off mic about Lispa being a sort of a uh, I was I compared it to the experimental theater wing that we had that we had at NYU, where you get to create your own work and uh, you have a instructor who sort of guides you as far as the the experiment. I'll let you uh, describe what Lispa is all about and how the students created their own work. Yeah, so Lispa is the London International School of Performing Arts. Um, sadly, because of all the restrictions with uh, visa requirements in the UK after the bombings and they were trying to push people out of London in a way, um, Lisper has now become the a school, they, they moved location to Berlin. However, the school is based on the teachings of Jacques Lecoq, uh, which was a theatre practitioner, I think in the... 40s 1940s i think in paris so he had a school and round about that time there were a lot of demonstrations from students because um against teachers they didn't want to be told what to do anymore so right it, it was a interesting time and the teacher said okay fine well you run this class then and that propelled the students to take more initiative and control of their own studies. But what that did was that then the uh, the students were devising projects. You would get a stimuli. So for example, the Metro or a day in the park, uh, and you'd create all the elements for that. So you weren't using set texts, you weren't reading Shakespeare or Chekhov or anything like that. You were actually creating your own theatre. and through that you learn more about the dynamics of how theatre works and what works and how to put things together and um, acting as an outside eye, uh, writing, directing, costuming, lighting, producing, everything. And wow, that's really cool. That my, yeah. I, I just re I looked up Jack Lecoq. Um, a French stage actor and acting movement coach. He was best known for his teaching methods in physical theater, movement, and mime, which he taught at the school he founded in Paris, known as École Internationale du Théâtre Jacques Lecoq. Mm -hmm. And he what died, from a, he died from a... He taught from 1956 until his death from a cerebral hemorrhage in 1999. Yeah. Woo! I, I believe this is the same person. So it was, yes, it, yeah, it, it is. So it must have been the 50s. <laughs> no, I knew he was... I knew... Yeah, that was... Theater went into a new range in uh, the '60s, and I knew that he was one of those, yeah. one of those impulses. There's a lot, lots of theater companies that have taken his work and then kind of grown with it. Uh, it it's using, uh, like I said, stimuli to create work instead of using texts. So you write it after you've tried it out on stage. Yeah, it's very non-standard. I mean, a lot of people look at, <clears throat> excuse me, look at theater as well. We have the text of Shakespeare and we will do it and we will learn the lines in the blocking and we'll do things the good old fashioned way. And this appears to be a new sort of a, um, a natural uh, organic way of creating art. 
through just life or, you know, whatever is affecting you. And um, I've, I've worked with a couple of um, actors and directors who <clears throat> will create, let's say they'll take a text, like I'm thinking of Lifetimes 3 by Yasmina Reza and uh, Celia Palmtech, we've had her on the yay. And she had a, uh, an acting experiment where she would have the actors before we got into the text, before the actors got to the text, um, would act as amoebas. Uh, the play was uh, a lot about the Higgs bosom and the creation of the universe, along with it were text of just a family trying to get it together. And there's a, a scientist writing his thesis on what's happening in the world. And, um, but she wanted it to be something bigger. And so she wanted the actors to represent the Higgs boss and the creation, the recreation of the universe. So the actors had to move throughout the, you know, throughout this, throughout this, um, the rehearsal process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, to sort of get out of their own heads and to think differently. And that's what I imagine that uh, Jacques Lecoq was, um, was, was trying to, to get at. Let's say you're, you're a leaf or you're a, um, I don't know, the wind or something Absolutely. like that. And then creating yeah. art from that. So they, they either give you a stimuli or a restriction. So um, we worked with masks, we worked with puppetry. Uh, we also worked with uh, what's called a trateau, which is a very small stage. It's probably four foot by six foot. And you'll sometimes have eight actors on that one platform, but you can't leave that platform. So then you're recreating uh, a day at the zoo within that, those confines. So it, all the bodies turn into the trees or the animals and everyone revolves, but you learn to work really well with other people and improvise. Um, wow. How difficult was that? It may not have been difficult at all. I mean, I remember when I, it's funny, there are times where I, when I've gone into like either acting school or even just a theater production and there's a director who's like, I'm going to, I'm going to push your mind differently. I'm going to have you think of the text or think of art in a different way. Some jump into it, some embrace it. Some are like, oh, what is this crap? Did you have a transition in your mind where it's like, what are we doing? Or did you just jump right into it? Bit of both. So it was interesting. I, uh, having done like a traditional drama school where we had to do, you know, Chekhov and uh, modern writers and then Shakespeare and uh, all of that work, um, one of my movement teachers at my traditional drama school was Lecoq trained. So I had had some exposure to it. Also, um, I was making a yearly pilgrimage to Edinburgh. I don't know if you know about the Edinburgh Festival. It's basically almost like the largest arts festival for theatre, TV, film, oh, yeah. uh, live theatre, street theatre, everything. So every year around my birthday, which is in August, I would go up and see as many plays and shows and comedy performances as I could. And I started off because if you ask for the uh, Edinburgh Fringe, you've got the Edinburgh Festival, which is the main stages, like the conventional theatre stages. And then you've got the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And if you ask for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival programme, it's about this thick. And on a page, there are maybe 80 different shows per page. And so you're right. flicking, flicking, flicking through going, how do I navigate through this? And where do I go? What kind of style of theatre do I want to watch? Um, and so every year, I would just select a bunch of shows and then 
Through that process, I realized that what I really love to watch, having selected before things like the Shakespeare's, were the ones that hadn't been written and were more creative and were the mask and the physical theater things. Having been exposed to that, it was really exciting and thrilling because you never knew what was going to happen and it was real creativity. And um, so I, I, I started going towards those venues and, and watching those kind of shows. So it, I think, yes, uh, absolutely. You could have like a natural resistance to seeing that, but when it really in inspires you, it, it's yeah incredible. And it, I think it can really change your world and change how you see life and you know, really impact people like that. I think um, why I was slightly different to my cohort at Lisper was they had all done their first year somewhere else. And then I, this was the second year of the training, although it was the first year of the school. So I should have maybe joined the, the foundation course as opposed to the advanced course. So it was a two year course. Um, the, the school had originally started being set up in Boulder, Colorado. And so uh, we had a bunch of Americans come over and a bunch of people from the Jacques Lecoq school and that made up the second year of the school and i was different to all of them because i had done neither but i had done a traditional theater school so initially when everyone was talking about the devising process they would say okay so do a, a piece about mourning and i was putting up my hand and just asking what i thought was a, a useful question i said oh uh, how long does it have to be and everyone just kind of smiled and I just thought, what, mm -hmm. what, like, what? You know, and the, and the teacher was like, juste, which is just, it has to be just right. Wow. Like, what does that mean? Oh, <laughs> like, goodness. How, what did you do? It's like, how long is a piece of string? You know, like, what? But I don't know. And uh, yeah, so initially, I think understanding the process I I was a little bit shocked because I, I was used to being, I guess, spoon fed at drama school. You know, you're told, okay, you're studying this text and this is the length of the scene, you know. <laughs> so, but um, creating your own work, you learn to defend and you learn to, you know, that everyone's art is inherent within them and their, whatever they've been exposed to in life and how you will perform this piece is going to be completely different even given the same stimuli to someone else because their life experience informs the work and um yeah it was a beautiful time for me and i i loved being there and i think it was the greatest gift that i gave to myself to actually attend that study you know it's fascinating um because you mentioned something interesting, you know, students wanting to be spoon fed and, you know, young actors want to be spoon fed. And I'm sure I'm going to bring Norman in. I want to be spoon fed. <laughs> but I mean, as a, but also as a director, I'm sure you deal with actors who want to be spoon fed. Tell me what to do. And as a director, you're like, no, 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 you, I've, I've, you've got the text, you've got this. Now you give me something. So I guess the question I'll ask you, Norman, I mean, there was, I'm sure there was a time as an actor, as you know, as you're thinking of yourself as a career as an actor, where you went from the transition of just spoon feed me just give me a script just give me a job to 
okay, this is the type of theater I want to do because that's really <laughs> what Lee, that's that's what Lee Ling is talking about. She's like those are those are two different things. As an actor, I am barely arriving at the place you're talking about. As a director, we had an actor, and I won't mention names, but we had an actor in um, in Four Men in Paris, and I'm. We are now engaging in a new project, and again, I'm not going to give too many details, but I'm fascinated because three years ago, this was somebody who didn't seem to have a clue about where they were going or what they were doing, and now this is somebody who is just grabbing life like it is a ripe fruit that they are trying to engulf, and I'm like, this energy, this passion is so exciting. As a director, when you get that first person they're just malleable and you do whatever you want with them when you get to that point where the collaborative process is what's going on you the actor are bringing in something that you are trying to do and i can work with that it's a it's a totally different animal yeah is it better or worse i mean you know sometimes they can bring in something i remember being a part of a production this is when i was with eastenders where we had an actor um who brought in an energy and the director sort of had to stop everything and say okay i thank you for the energy but you know, you, you're taking things a little differently. You know, this is not within the context. Sometimes you, I don't know, do you have to rein in an actor sometimes? As a smart director, you're going to recognize the strengths of both. Um, because when you get that, I mean, I as an actually as a stagehand, I was working on a show where the principal character, the principal actor was just a diva. And I was like, why are we putting up with this? But that performance was so singular there was no way to do that show in the way that it was done without taking advantage of that. That's a smart director. On the other hand, the young person that I was talking about who had a passion of theater, passion for theater, I ended up incorporating in the show in ways that I would never have thought I would when initially I was asked, can you hire this person? And I was like, well, I can hire them. I don't know how much I'm going to do with them. They're going to basically do my grunt work. And then, no, more came to it because they still had a passion for theater. As long as anybody has a desire to do, a good director, a smart director is going to figure out how to fit you in. Yeah. And I'll bring Lee Ling back in. I'm, I imagine your time at LISPA and going through this, you know, the gift that you gave yourself, you not only, I guess, discovered yourself maybe as a person or understood yourself more as a person, but maybe understood as an actor what type of theater you wanted to do or what type of an artist yeah. you wanted to be. Is that, Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. So um, I guess so I, I would have approached uh, my career in the late 90s, early 2000s in London. And it, you know, it was a very strange time to come through because having done all the classics, you're expecting the National Theatre to come calling or the you know some of the big theaters or you know tv shows and that yeah kind of you'd stuff. be on and bbc yeah yeah you know <laughs> i have done that subsequently but you know those things that you just think yeah you know it, it's a time for change and diversity and still now it's still a change <laughs> change of diversity time but you, know, you you think that you're gonna have a sunnier outlook when you first uh, are making an impact into the industry however then you're being asked to do roles like triad and being asked to be you know prostitute number three or whatever it is and you just think right. why did i do three years of drama school for this you right know, i this this is not 
what I envisaged for myself, envisioned for myself. And so I need to do something else. And, and so that's why I, I decided to do Lisper because I needed to know how to create my own work and what was important to me and how to redefine myself as an actor and as a performer. And absolutely, Norman, I totally agree with you. I, it took me a long time to be someone that knew how to approach the work in a way. Yeah. I, I think the, the biggest gift as well is when I started thinking of auditions as a workshop and less as a test. Smart. And it, it really took took the shackles away because you, you stop worrying about, oh, I really want this job. I really, really want this job. You know, are they are they going to hire me? Yeah, you to, want the pat on the head. Forget about the know, pat on the head. Yeah. yeah. And you just think, okay, can we work together? This right. is an opportunity for me to get to know you and yep. see your work and your vision and to challenge that and or to offer something else and and to have created a character for yourself that is an impression of what's on the state on the page as opposed to someone saying okay so i'm thinking during this moment you move to that place and then you say this line and then you move over there and you're like well this doesn't feel right to me and i i i'm it's not organically coming in um i guess what lisper was is more of a uh, an idea of creating characters sometimes more from the outside in because you've been given the stimuli of you know what kind of shoes do they wear or what kind of how do they carry their body but having said that you've also got that psychological element of um this person is fire and so how does fire react to differently to water mm. um, and so you've nice. got that internal turmoil and whether you can embody that but it gives you something else and you know sometimes i watch people's performance and you go okay that person is performing as a snake and you know if you watch a lot of alan rickman then oh, quite yeah. quite oh. often a snake late, late or a alan large rickman, yeah. tiger you know that right whole... yeah and it's funny you mentioned that yeah. i've been thinking a lot about energy when it comes to mm. acting like you know what energy does a person have yeah. and some people really have you know a type of energy and some of the great actors have different types of energies you know they you know um I, I can't think of, well, I think of Meryl Streep. I mean, there are times where Meryl Streep, let's say, you know, women, um, what is it, uh, the Prada movie? Um, uh, I can't. The Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada. You know, she has a totally different energy than, let's say, her portraying Julia Child. Yeah. Or, you know, even going back to when she did Out of Africa or Kramer, I think she did Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, she, yeah, did she did do Kramer versus Kramer, yeah. And it's or like, Sophie's well, Choice or, yeah. And and it's, and it's amazing. It's like, wow, this one woman and I don't see her, you know, it's not like Meryl Streep is just doing this, you know, there's some actors, I mean, as good as Robert De Niro is, sometimes he's really just playing himself in different and roles. Pacino, <laughs> yes, similarly, yes. But you <laughs> have, they, but they, bringing yeah. it as in a very fresh way. Right, exactly. You have it, actors who are like, wow, this is completely different, a completely different energy and, you know, just bringing up that or creating that energy. Yeah. that this different character needs is an incredible talent and a lot of people don't have it yeah uh yeah. How, what brought you to what so how did you get to australia and then how did you get to <laughs> uh to the united states here so um i followed my heart i have to say so uh i while i was at drama school back at rose bruford i met a guy and uh we were 
kind of pen pals this is when the internet was young <laughs> so we occasionally would send each other emails and is this back in the aol days america online totally earlier than yep, yeah all that <laughs> you you would have to go to an internet cafe to then get online and the whole dial-up mm -hmm. thing and yeah all of that so um yeah so he and i became friends and yeah we were friends for a long time fast forward gosh uh five years or so so he he sorry he and i worked at the same records shop at, in piccadilly circuits called hmv oh, wow. and yeah so you may know it it was like right there was tower records and then hmv it was piccadilly circus um uh, and then yeah so we were friends for a long time and then he came through london again uh to, for a relative's wedding and um we reconnected and again we were just friends and then i finished uh lisper and was gonna go I, I was doing a play doing puppetry for five months all around the uk and uh i had an email from him saying that he was interested in traveling around india and um after i finished that show uh i went to backpacking around india for five weeks with him and we got together and then we did two years long distance relationship london sydney sorry he's australian and um, then after two years something had to give so i decided to relocate to australia so then i was there for seven years um did some good work established a theater company with some other lecoq based uh, physical theater performers and then his work took him to the Bay Area, so we relocated to America. You guys are still together now. Yes, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Who kids. is this? Oh, he, he's not an actor. <laughs> oh. He, yeah. His name's Adrian Stevens. Oh, that's <laughs> that's wonderful. That's fantastic. So, um, so getting to, I mean, I would love to know, you know, your experiences in Australia, but you know, that yeah. this will be a very long show. I know. But, um, <laughs> But uh, how uh, how has your experience been here in the Bay as far as theater? I mean, are you getting the most out of it? I mean, have you had some wonderful experiences? Are you are you a frustrated actor? Um, yeah, you know, a bit of both. Um, it's interesting approaching acting here now. Uh, my Australia experience wasn't how I imagined it to be. However, again, I had a wonderful time. I, I was hugely fortunate. I did a physical theater show out there where I played maybe about five different characters and we toured all around Australia. Uh, it was a children's show called Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. And it was about Sadako Sasaki, who is a real person who died of leukemia after oh. the Hiroshima bomb. And um, it, it was an incredible experience. I saw so much of Australia uh, and we were doing two to three shows a day sometimes, uh, but incredible, wonderful experience. I also, was fortunate enough to work at the Melbourne Theatre Company, which is, I guess, uh, the same as the National Theatre in London, which I was again fortunate to work there. Uh, and so both those locations in the UK and Australia, I was an equity actor. Um, I'm in a different life stage now. It, it was strange. Um, I just had my first child in Australia. Then I moved to America and had my second child. And so I kind of took a little step back from acting for a little while um i'm very lucky i i was 
I'm teaching the directing workshop at Bindlestiff Theatre Company, which I don't know if you know. Nice. Bindle, Bindlestiff, wow. We just, yeah, uh, we, we had, yeah, we had an interview with uh, Aureen and I've interviewed so oh. many individuals. Um, yeah. Conrad Panganaban and uh, Michael Dorado and um, Melvin um, Badiola. Yeah. So many, so many. And Jed Pizarro, yeah. So, Jed, yeah. all of them, yeah. So I, I worked with Jed and Melvin and yeah, uh, Aureen is the artistic director there now. So I've worked with Bindlestiff for the last six years, maybe. Nice. Uh, so what I a was small doing, world. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> it gets smaller and smaller. I, I worked with a Filipino uh, puppetry uh, guy uh, in London, and he and I became really good friends. And then he moved back to the Bay Area. And um, Ramon Abad, uh, he brought me into Bindlestiff to do some movement directing for a short play that he was doing. Uh, that's how I met uh, met Jed and Melvin and uh, they liked what I did so they asked me to teach their directing workshops and then I switched over and did the acting workshops for a while for Stories High and this year I'm going to be doing directing but online. So that's kind of exciting but uh, having to restructure the whole workshop to be in a a zoom format so right. yeah. but yeah so where did we how do we get there uh yes we're acting theater in the <laughs> in america so yeah uh i've been very fortunate i stepped away i haven't decided to go equity in the bay area as yet i do have a agent here um who's your agent je yeah. okay so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah it's a it's a very strange time obviously for theater uh but i've been so so fortunate i did a show at contra costa civic theater um and i did it was called humble boy and uh i know you guys have had russ wismore on your show so i, I worked with him um and yeah it was ken sonkin was directing and it was a really beautiful show uh and funnily enough uh i don't think that i would have got that role if i was still in the uk being the colour that I am. So I, I've loved working here because I think in many a way, you're, you guys are really embracing colourblind casting and in, in a way that I think the UK keeps aspiring to and yet is not quite there yet. Right. So, um, yeah, so I did that. And then off the back of that, I auditioned for the ACT a fellowship show and uh, I was in The Revolutionists by Lauren Gunderson and lucky enough to meet Lauren Damn, for that yeah. show so that was playing uh, Marie Antoinette and then after that uh, I did uh, Milady in The Three Musketeers at Douglas Morrison. So, wow the Douglas Morrison Theatre wow. Yeah so that that was year before last and then last year no theatre and this year I've done a few online shows and um, about to do one, I think next week for uh, San Francisco Public Library, uh, again, like a reading. So um, yeah, we will see what the future holds. Very cool. Now, now, now you mentioned, uh, do you direct or are you primarily an actor? I'm primarily an actor. Uh, I have taught directing for Bindlestiff and um, mm. yeah, I, I guess. The, so, you this never, experience. so you haven't directed a show or, 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 or... Yes and no, I guess, because I, I wouldn't claim to have directed it singularly. So I set up a theatre company in Australia and um, with, with a group of friends. Mm -hmm. 
through that process, you're not just acting, you have to write, but then also you're acting as an outside eye. So you know how things are constructed and how scenes work well together. Uh, I did some movement directing, I guess, for my friend Ramon, and then uh, Aureen brought me in to just kind of watch uh, her, one of her pieces before she was uh, opening the show and just moving a few elements around. So <laughs> very, very, very cool. How did you get involved with uh, Dragon's Nest or uh, Dra Dragon Theatre? Yeah, so, you know, I auditioned for them a while back and sadly didn't get the role, but I think the person who got the role was brilliant. Um, and I could tell even in the, the audition process, I was like, yeah, you know, I think this is hers. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, like fair dues. Uh, uh, then I was, I think I did the reading for 10 out of 12 for Contra Costa Civic Theatre. Um, and then where, where I worked with Lamont, uh, then, and I think Kimberly watched that show. She didn't bring me in to do the reading for uh, this other Dragon Nest, Dragon Egg production, but my friend Ugo Kabahal, who has done a bunch of work for the Mime, uh, San Francisco Mime Troupe, uh, oh. he's now based in LA. He knew that they wanted to cast an Asian person and he put me forward and then I got cast in that show. And Kimberly saw me doing that reading and then she brought me in to do the one with you, Rich. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's, it's, it's almost like six degrees. So, you know, I know. if you don't Slowly know somebody, you know, know somebody who knows you. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, we're getting close to the one hour mark. One last question I usually ask everyone, uh, where do you see yourself in the next, now I know you have a young family, so maybe, you know, the family will dictate, you know, wh what you'll do, but, you know, career wise, where do you see yourself in the next five or 10 years? Do you see, do you want to do New York? Do you want to do more uh, film? Um, wh where do you see yourself? You know, I love theatre. Uh, I think that's my spiritual home. If I could do more theatre, I totally would do that. I, I think theatre is really tough on families. Um, yep. You know, there, there's, it, it's a really interesting time to be in America and also in the Bay Area. You guys have got such a depth of talent it is unreal i mean so right. many people i i'll say it time and again I, I worked with a actor called steve ryan who is probably one of the best actors i've ever had the pleasure of working with and he was playing the lead role in humble boy at contra costa he is such a beautiful sensitive actor and so funny and smart you know just intelligent and he's working at the university and that's his day job. And it, it never ceases to amaze me the depth of talent you have here because most people have done their um, major in theater and then the minor in computer science or something. And so what makes them the money is the computer science. And yet they are incredible, beautiful, detailed, exciting actors to work around yep. um however they do theater for free in the bay area whereas i think in the uk you would never get that so we've got a different structure i think in the uk and i'm talking from when i was there not the current government right but you know you you'd be working you as an actor? You're not a boris johnson fan really not at all not even oh. remotely <laughs> so, i don't know what would give that away you know but, <laughs> but 
but you know the... he's so cute and uh yeah. disheveled yes exactly he and your previous president have a lot in common i think so yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, the, the they, orange they man you know yes <laughs> but, so... I, but, but i totally understand what you're saying i mean we have such depth of talent yet no one's making very few people are making money off of that talent right so so i asked my fellow actors why aren't you doing this as a job and they said well i've got a mortgage and I've got a dog and I've got a husband and I've got you know and, right and I need health insurance whereas in the UK health you know you go to right. you break your leg you go to the hospital it gets fixed it's free you know right. so I I can't imagine being in that situation where you're constantly in fear of having a fall or you know doing something on a job that is gonna cost you your house you know right. and you also have you know uh programs so that you can be on the doll. Right. Unemploy yes. Unemployment insurance. Unemployment. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. No, our, so, our, my wife yeah. is a musician and yet she still has all of those fears. I, yeah. it's not that I don't have those fears. I've just been living in the face of them for over 20 years. And I'm like, you know what? It must work. Cause I keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why I have a day job. It's the reason why exactly. I work for, you know, the uh, DA's office for 23 years. So, yeah, amazing. And that, that's, you know, wonderful, sustaining and fulfilling work as well in itself. And I think a lot of the actors in the Bay Area have that, you know, they have their day right. job and then the job that they love. Yep, However, exactly. it's really difficult. And especially now, if you were an equity actor, I sure would I love to see myself doing the main stages? Yes, absolutely. And I've got a family and all of that. And right. You know, on top of that, I, I think theatre and film would be really exciting. Uh, I've done a little bit of both in Australia and the UK. It's it's easier to sustain that kind of work because they're short and sharp and it pays well, right. as opposed to theatre. And theatre, yeah, for for all its beauty and intimacy and you know i i love the family that you create when you do shows mm -hmm. um and yet if you were to work in theater in the day and do your rehearsals in the daytime you would still be paying for childcare, and right. the bay area is somewhere that that's just one of the most expensive places on the planet yeah right so yes where, where do i see myself uh creating and inspiring <laughs> i hope to be doing work that and it yeah, sounds like touches. you have a husband who who um who supports you like you know when you're doing a show you know he's there taking care of the kids and all that stuff yes and uh he's also a covid casualty with his work and so now we're in this position of going okay so what now um so you're very it, happy about the stimulus then <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not sure right now that we qualify in that. No we're, way! We're, we're not citizens. We, oh, we, oh, gee! So, uh, That's horrible. So we're in this position, you're going, well, he's just started a new business and that is gaining momentum. I, I've been very mm -hmm. fortunate with the work that I'm doing. I'm doing um, a lot of corporate training online uh, and, you know, that's the other you know that's a shame. I I, it's, I don't mean it to who, cut who in, you work but with, um, with corporate training. I currently I work with two companies. So I work with a lady called Lisa Piers at Piers and Players. Oh, you know her. I I just got the email and I'm like, uh, oh, I, I guess we're working this week. Oh crap. So I I love Lisa. I've worked with her for 
gosh, 15 years. So I, I knew her in Australia before I knew her here. And then I also- I'm a newbie, so. <laughs> well, I look forward to working with you sometime soon, Norman. I also work with Standard Deliver. So that's the oh, other cool. thing that I have recently started doing. So, um, yeah. And, and that's, and the reason I stop you for that is because yeah. people don't recognize. I remember being that well-trained actor looking for that serious acting job and going, oh, commercials, I would never do commercials. And then I started paying attention to who does commercials and who's good in yeah. commercials. And like the lady who does progressive, man, that's a great job. Totally. Um, the woman who was doing um, um, Pine Saw, Bay Area comedian. I'm like, oh wait, I want that job. And the one that really put me over the top was, uh, he plays like a DA or something. No, he plays a psychologist. He plays a police psychologist on Law and Order. You maybe see him a handful of times in any season. Oh, he's now the Farmers commercial. He does We Are we Farmers. Are farmers. <laughs> yes, he's a fantastic actor. Dude, for as much, he probably gets paid for as much being the spokesman for Farmers as he does for that little spot he does on Law and Order. And in terms of the skill the, yeah. ne the you know that is necessary to make that work, it is no less skill. You yeah. that commercial is crisp and fun mm -hmm. because he is just on point. Absolutely. And he was also in the Academy Award. Um, what is the drummer? Whiplash. Movie? Whiplash. Yeah. That's right. He was the um the yeah. director for Whiplash. The teacher. Yeah. No, he was the teacher. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's it, like you said, it's a skill in itself, right? Thirty yeah. seconds. You have to cut, put across an entire story in thirty seconds. Can you do yeah. it? Right. I was just telling somebody I had one. Um, Somebody, we were just talking and somehow uh, UCSF, oh, that's it. Somebody knows a teacher who's just going through the program at UCSF. I was there and I'm like, oh, I'm putting people in tears. I'm not trying to put people in tears, but when you tell my character they have ha cancer, after a fucking 15 minute interview and you hit it at the last minute so that as soon as you say it and I react to it, almost in tears, the voice comes over the loudspeaker saying, your time is up. Please exit the room. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. There was a coach in the room. And she's like, wait, wait. I know. I know I have to leave. But I just want you to know, Mr. Jones, that we have treatments for this. And I'm not saying you have it. I'm saying we want to test for it. So please, sir, don't don't be too upset. Oh. And then apparently she walked into the hall and broke down and then had to come back in to get the feedback. And I'm like, you did great. Yeah. You told me and you dealt with my response that's the best you can do and that day was a day my trainer came in on the break my trainer comes in and said norman i was watching that on video you made me cry and i'm like that's the job isn't it i'm an actor that's what i'm supposed to do so i'm like yeah put me in front of a camera please god damn it because <laughs> i i will make you cry <laughs> yeah and it's amazing how you know this and this is acting but it's not for the theater and it's not even for you know television or whatever but it still serves it's a good for, purpose it's for an institution but it's really for one person one at a time Bam. yeah yeah there's something to be said for industrial uh acting where you're you're acting but you know for and i've seen it for like i just took a test on a, t a training on uh what is it it's not implicit bias it's uh, something maybe it had to do with COVID. Um, I can't remember, but in any case, you have actors who, you know, who do little things for industrials and things like that. But getting back to what you were saying, Lee Ling, it's a cruel irony. You know, you have wonderful theater here in the Bay Area, wonderful actors who are trained and who know their stuff, but they're not getting paid doing the things they love to do. Yeah. 
sure, I love my day job, but I mean, if I could get paid the exact same and do what I love to do, theater, yeah. writing, yeah. acting, all that stuff, that would be so much better. So who knows if, you know, if that'll ever change. I mean, we're you know. fortunate. We live in the Bay Area. There is a culture that supports and nurtures yeah. this. So that's right. Yeah. It'd be great to be paid, but it's nice to know that you tell somebody you do that and they go, really? Well, yeah. maybe I'll come see you. And I'm like, great. You're not involved in theater at all. Great. Come see me, please. Yeah. I mean, even in you know, Russia and Italy and France, they, they pay their actors when they're not working because they value the art and they know that it's important and what yeah. it means to culturally and to society. And, and as actors, I, I think we've been seen as such kind of like lowly characters and you know, <laughs> right. people that kind of do whatever they need to scrape sure. and get we, by. We, and... Us and prostitutes and thieves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly we, have to, we even have to convince our parents like, oh, no, you're For doing sure. the theater. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had a, a story of anybody being disowned yet from a family. I want to hear that story. If they'll tell us. <laughs> you're doing theater? What? Change your well, name. You know, are, your I, are your parents still around, Liling? They are. They are still around, and I'm very, very fortunate that they've already both had their vaccines. So, um, yeah, in the UK. So, they, yeah, I mean, it's taken them a long time to get round to it, round their heads around the fact that I'm an actor. Um, even when I finished drama school and I was approaching the industry, they, they were sending me information to be like a stenographer. Right. Uh, you know, going, you know, it's still not too late. You, you can do something else. You can do something with your life and make, right. make you know, it's, I was like, yeah, no. Um. Are you so, enjoying, are they getting to see you now with, because that's one of the benefits of this last year is we're doing all this stuff that's online. Yeah. Are they getting to see more of your stuff? You know, I, I haven't been so good in uh, publicizing stuff. Um, I probably should be a little bit more. I think. The family, I, of course. I know, it's true. But I think. I was hoping that they you know, would. I've kind of grown up a little bit more. And, when you did uh, the, I'm sorry, when you when you did the ACT thing uh, as Marie Antoinette, were they, do you, did, were they, could they have flown over to see you? Yeah, you know, it was a funny time. So um, I, I was really fortunate. I asked my mum to come out, help me. And she was able to see my performance at uh, Contra Costa Civic Theatre. And I was really lucky because it, yeah, I, I had to, and this is, this is why it's so expensive for the Bay Area. It was cheaper for me to get my mother a ticket from London and fly her over so that she could stay here for three weeks and look after my kids than it was for me to hire a babysitter here right. for like four days yeah. to, <laughs> to look after my kids while I was in rehearsals. Yeah. So it, it was... That was a no-brainer, but um, sadly she didn't see the ACT thing. My friend from Sweden <laughs> came over and she helped me uh, while I was in rehearsals, and she nice. saw my performance. Yeah. For yeah, and it was a, a great experience, and uh, I'm deeply grateful. I, I think the roles that I've had in the Bay Area, I would never have been cast in in the UK. So, you mm. know, playing Marie Antoinette or Milady or Rosie Pie, I I don't think. I would have been given those opportunities. So I'm deeply grateful and deeply fortunate. Well, and again, I'm a union actor, so I do support that idea of making a living wage. But I have to admit, there is a support system, a willingness in the Bay Area and transportation wise, people who have like frequent flyer miles and stuff can get here easily. Yeah, 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 very much so. 
And it was a thrill to have my family uh, see, you know, the play that I produced and uh, wrote, uh, Foreman in Paris. So, you know, it's one of those perks that you have. You may not get paid, but at least people can see you in a way that you'd want them to. I mean, you know, it yeah. may not be a commercial or whatever, but, you know, they're seeing uh, you on the stage. So, and it's wonderful that you had those wonderful memories. I mean, you know, getting to be Marie Antoinette and being on, being on ACT and the CCCT, I've been on that stage twice and, uh, and you, there'll be more, more roles. I mean, you talk about being lucky, but it also takes talent and you have talent. I mean, you, you know, just doing the Dragon X thing, it was, it was real, you, you, you have a presence, you know, you, you know, you have, you have a real talent. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> Yeah. And with that, uh, it's 2.49. My goodness, we've gone way over. I know, we've gone over. <laughs> it was Bro good stuff. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Birthdays. Uh, David Acevedo runs a company in San Francisco. Um, ooh, I should have gotten the name. I, I thought I knew it. Um, wonderful. And they're on the edge of Chinatown, their performance space. Um, but uh, wonderful stuff. Uh, Lloyd Vance is somebody I met when I was running a space in West Oakland, called the noodle factory it, it only list, lived for about a year two years um and he was producing and i got to meet him at that point his birthday's coming up this week angela nordstrand one of the cutest stage managers i have ever had when i was working with uh, word for word and she would be one she would be our tour manager she was fantastic kathleen king um is i don't know what her official title is but she's one of the people who runs the san jose stage and um uh, and she is the wife of Randy King, who helped found the company. People don't recognize how powerful somebody in that position is. She's smart. She really pays attention to stuff. She really loves theater. Her birthday is this week. And I I knew her before this, but I met, I we reconnected when uh, Jeannie Baroga and I did Buffalo down at San Jose stage. Ron Muriera, whose birthday is coming up this week, was the, I think the city, city of San Jose was paying him as a cultural consultant. And he helped to let the Filipino community know that we were doing this show that talked about the Buffalo Soldiers in the Philippines. It was, it was an amazing show. Uh, and it turns out he and I go way back. He kept, he kept reminding me, remember back when we party? And I was like, dude, that was like in the 90s. No, I don't remember that. Uh, Lynn Miller, local playwright. Her birthday's coming up this week. Nolan Meacham is um, an actor that I got to work with out in Livermore, what is now called the Livermore Shakespeare Company. Back then was called Valley, Tri-Valley Shakes. Um, now they're Livermore Shakespeare Company. They've been going on for, uh, they're coming up on their second decade. It's pretty cool. Michael J. Asbury, who we got to have on the show. That's right. Wonderful actor. <laughs> Bay Area actor, wonderful. Uh, Kristen Fitch. Who, and it's funny, last week we had Greg. Uh, Kristen was a stage manager and production manager for Central Works for a long time. Um, I'm hoping she'll get back in theater. She is brilliant. Uh, Dave Sikula is an actor I got to work with a couple of years ago on As You Like It with the SF Shakes. Um, Richard Ryan is somebody, I'm. he's an actor and loved doing musical theater. And um, I met him, though, as somebody working at Theater Bay Area. Uh, Perry Aliado is one of my each one reach one crew. We would go to juvie together. Oh, I love all my juvie people because when somebody, we would go out sometimes after a show and have a drink and somebody would say, how'd you guys meet? Uh, we met in juvie, right? That's what we met. Um, and he is now a professor. I think he got his PhD. 
Uh, John Green is not a theater guy, but he was my neighbor. And I wish his birthday had been last month because I would totally talk about him as part of Black History Month. He's a white guy, but he was the white guy in Oakland who helped to integrate the bowling leagues. Bumped into him in the hall one day and we got into talk about that. And I was like, what? He was bowling. He was looking for some place to bowl. A coworker said, why don't you come be on our team? Turns out it was an all-black team. He helped integrate it as integration was coming in to the Oakland. And then the final one I have is Erin Merritt, great educator. Um, she ran Women's Will, the Shakespeare company that was all women for the longest. And she is still producing. In fact, we were highlighting a show she was doing, Lakeside Stories, that they were doing just a few months ago. Um, but we met when I was doing um, Midsummer Night's Dream for San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, and she was my understudy. So I will always remember her that way, and it's kind of funny. Anybody who knows her now would look at that like, what are you talking about? That is so weird. Those are my birthdays for the week. You know what? Uh, th so there is a – so usually I look on Facebook to see if anyone has any comments or questions. We always ask people, hey, if you have any questions on for the A, ask right. us. And we do have one, and I, I've got to remind myself, we have to add another segment to the A. So okay. in any case, Sheba Woods. Hey, y'all, this is my first year doing taxes, and as an actor, gig worker, I'm fully lost in terms of choosing a filing service. Oh, Does anyone man. have any suggestions or good resources to peruse? What kind of things do people write off or get credit for? Thanks I, I think let's pull that in for next week. God damn, that's a, <laughs> that's a big subject. It really is. Yeah, yeah, and I've got, I'll remind myself to, uh, to, to do that. Okay, so I'm my- I'm make a note right here, too, about that. Yeah, and I think you would be better to ask uh, than, than me. But in any case, um, so birthdays. You mentioned Michael Ashbury. We also Mike Berg or Michael Anderberg. He was a director. He was also the, um, the technical director for um, Phoenix, the Phoenix Theater. This is oh. the old Phoenix Theater when, when it was right. at Geary. Uh, this was one a person that Linda Ayers Frederick used all the time. And uh, when they did Othello uh, a long time ago, and right. he director for that and he also helped us uh build for uh eastenders so mike burke's birthday is on um the 15th happy birthday mike on the 16th janice rumschlag and she is a wonderful actress she is no longer in the bay area but she was she uh, and i did a bunch of things for the uh, playwright center for san francisco wonderful actress and director uh let's see aaron jones and we had aaron jones on um ah. A couple of weeks ago, black actor. Um, he's an actor and also a. Oh right, the guy film. doing film, right? Yeah, exactly. He was in yeah. my. He was in my little piece, uh, judicial process. He was the, um, the, um, the cop, the investigator. He was he, very good. Yeah. Yeah, he did an excellent job, and so that is it. My list is really, really short. Any ah. shows? Any shows that we want to produce? I mean, uh, Playground has uh, March fifteenth, Monday, March fifteenth, free. Our Monday Night Playground, it's the last one of the season. The next thing we'll be doing is the best of Playground. So all the shows from the last season, we'll pick the best six and we'll put those up. But 7 o'clock Monday, it's free. I sent you the. I sent an email to you with the links for this. Yep, uh, um, we'll have the link. And also, you're directing, I think you're directing Linda Amayo Hassan's piece, right? Yes, I am. It's called Talk Back. Wonderful. Um, I am performing a couple of weeks from now with Shots SF. We can talk more about that next week, but I sent you the link. Um, and then I want to make sure that we give a shout out to Margot Hall, who directed Hieroglyph, which is at SF Playhouse right now. They are opening tonight. 
it's virtual, but it's theater. And then the last one I have is the Central Works. Um, both of their shows, if you go to their website, and again, I sent you the link for this, The mm -hmm. Human Outs and Bystanders are both available on their website right now. Um, and uh, Kimberly Ridgeway is a part of both of them. So and, and really Kimberly talented, <laughs> great company. Yes. Speaking of Kimberly Ridgeway, she is also in The Stop. Um, Damn. No, I'm sorry. She's written The Stop. She wrote she, The Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she is on fire, and uh, that has been going on. That's another one of those pieces that are online at the Fantasy Theater Factory. That's been going on since February the 19th. I think it ends March the 18th. So this will be the last week to see The Stop, as well as all of the other shows that uh, Kimberly is in, and we'll have all of those links um at you know, in, the, in our show notes that is it Li Ling, are you into anything are you said you're doing another online thing we'd like to promote I that am. as well sure uh, i'm doing for um san francisco public library it's a show called chronic it's a, a potentially a tv show but oh. uh, yeah well the the lady who's written it her name's Diana Lauren Jones and oh we got her on oh, oh there you are Diana Lauren, <laughs> small world so Kayla Kaufman who directed the Revolutionists uh, that I was Marie Antoinette in she is directing this and um, yeah that happens on Sunday the twenty first around about two o'clock sorry I'm sorry say that oh, again sorry uh, San Francisco Public Library so if you look at the SFPL uh, mm -hmm. website website and look for performance and then it's called something like fresh play sunday reading series all right it, written by dan lauren jones she wrote yeah. it yeah. wow what is yeah. um, that is a small world and you you brought her on norman she's fantastic and i'm sorry when is that happening uh, the 21st sunday, the 21st and it's called nice. chronic just, her, just her one day of, it is it's uh just one uh, yeah, it's one one performance. Okay, and we'll we'll definitely I, promote it. Send you the link. <laughs> yes, Yay. thank you, thank you very very much. Liling, did you have a good time on the show? I did. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, guys. Thank yeah. you. Now, thank you for being on the show. And uh, once again, we want to thank uh, Mallory Samara. She is our um, <clears throat> our consultant in helping us improve the show. Um, for those who are watching on YouTube. Please like and subscribe and give us a thumbs up and tell us what you like or don't like. As all the kids say, you know, we want to get our subscription services up. Uh, if you're listening to this on the traditional podcast app, we're on all podcast apps. We're on Spotify. Um, if you have a, um, an Apple iPhone or iPad, we're on the uh, purple iPhone app uh, podcast app. If you are an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Li Ling, do you have a uh, social media that people can reach you? Reach you? you know, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm... I'm mysterious no, no. <laughs> yes mysterious. yes well, but you're on facebook I, I right i have a personal facebook and i only accept people that i know so okay well i'm sure <laughs> there are some potential directors who may want to reach out and say oh i want that actress so i guess they'll have to they'll just... have to reach through to me through you maybe <laughs> right on and it really um potential directors and producers um you can't go wrong with Li Ling Ao. she is a fantastic actress <clears throat> and she has so much to offer 
with that, it's a wonderful weekend. The sun is shining. So everyone have a wonderful weekend. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign off. And we are out.